find and reconnect with and stay connected to what it is you love, not just about yourself, but what brings you alive. Have a relationship with your desire. Hello, and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Angie Mazzetti. When I started this work, there were so few women. I think we were the only university women's leadership program. And now they're almost in every university. There are lots of ways. And I, you know, there's my community to get connected to that women can start to feel supported. This week's guest on the Women in Leadership podcast is Suzanne Anderson of Mysterial Woman. Suzanne is a psychologist, an executive leadership coach, an international speaker and co-author of The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love and Lead. She's a new approach that sees change in the way that women are changing in business and in the world as more of an evolutionary phenomenon. This is a longer podcast than normal, but I think you'll find her contribution thought-provoking and enjoyable. You're very welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about you and your life and what has brought you to this point in your career? I can probably safely say that that I have a sense that I was born for these particular times. Um, And what does that mean? That means that uh, the, the path I have been on, I think, has prepared me to be a, a guide, maybe an, an agent of change at this time in terms of women in leadership. And certainly that's never been more evident than here in the USA, but I think that's also uh, worldwide. And my, my own path um, was sort of more traditional in the sense of being a management consultant and um, based in Canada, I'm Canadian. And uh, and then as the firm grew, I ended up running the Europe, the EMEA offices, Europe, Middle East and Africa based in Paris. And it was a very exciting sort of heady time, the end of the, the 90s, working with large firms that were trying to meeting to become more, more um, nimble uh, as the marketplace was changing. And, and what I had experienced in, with the few women that were at the senior levels I was at um, also, I was teaching at that time at INSEAD in, in Fontainebleau, so I was uh, seeing the same thing in the in the academic setting. Um, what I was seeing was that women who were in positions of leadership seemed to be have become kind of one of the boys, let's say. And I could relate to that myself inside a very masculine a profession of management consulting and I I knew I, I recognized it in myself but I was sort of a little bit of an observer because I was also um, a, a consultant so I could see it happening but I, I felt it what didn't have me its total grab um, but it but when I um, started myself to get sick or let's just say super stressed in the uh, in that role uh, that I was in I sort of almost got the disease, I suppose, that I was in the companies trying to um, heal. I, I started to question, you know, what's happening for women? What's happening for me that we've worked so hard to be, you know, the one or two women in these senior positions and we're not bringing something vastly different and we're not doing very well. We're getting sick. We're burning out. That led me to uh, create a... I actually ended up, it's a little longer story, but I ended up leaving my the practice, my company, and um, starting my own uh, individual coaching practice in Paris, And because it seemed like someone needed to be figuring this out, and I needed it for myself. Um, and within a very short period of time, my practice was full, which I think spoke to the 
the incredible need then in women. And, um, and about that time, I also recognized if I'm going to do this work, because I realized I'm actually into over my head here, the, the territory I'm, I think I'm going to have to explore with women if we're going to find a new way to lead that isn't just um, as, you know, becoming one of the boys. Uh, it's going to involve me understanding more about how women develop. So um, that led me then to going back to graduate school in uh, psychology, and in particular for me in, in developmental psychology women's development um, and about that time I moved to the U.S. with my husband and thus began the journey here which was really both my own return to graduate school and then um, and then starting a company uh, where I did this research for now almost 20 years um, to try to to well to deepen my understanding of what does it take for women to show up right now in this in a very new way that meets the complexity of these times and what have you discovered from your research and like how can management styles evolve to accommodate women's leadership styles rather than trying to shoehorn ourselves into a male style of leadership i mean the males unfortunately we know all too to be the truth that the men actually have the control of power. So how do we, uh, not necessarily wrangle it away, but how do we change management consultancy to accommodate a, a more balanced style of leadership with elements of female and elements of male? What has your research taught you? Yeah, well, and also let me just say, Angie, that from the beginning I, I um, embedded the programs I do in uh, in universities so that I could actually that this work would not be sort of shoved into the ghetto which I saw happening in the you know when I began that women in leadership was sort of like a yeah let's we got to we got to do the token women in leadership but it, it doesn't really matter um, because I I think so that's to say I think we have to take ourselves seriously to start with and and I hope that um, one of the main things in, in the, the research and then the book that, that I wrote that came out last year, um, I, I think the, I hope the main thing that we really convey is um, that we are we are women and men, but I'm my own work has been with women, as I've said, are in the midst of what I think is a profound rite of passage. Actually, I think we are we are in a um, a developmental uh, threshold, we could say it like that. In other words, women, we have learned to see ourselves and our wholeness inside a masculine model of wholeness. And we know that, and, and my research shows that, and my co-author of my book was a, is a futurist, and actually a lot of her research was around culture, looking at the larger scan of time and cultures around the world. And what we can see, and we know now, is we've been inside this paradigm for 5,000 years. That's a very long time. That's a particular hyper-masculine, now it is, I call it, uh, at the end of 5,000 years, ways of seeing ourselves. So um, we can't, you know, that we're not just going to shift that by a few positive affirmations. We're actually going to have to, I think, turn on the developmental tap again, just like we do when we went from crawling to walking and we learned to speak, that we have to be willing to to grow again. And that's never easy because we it's it's always um, any developmental move we make 
from babies up till adulthood are always, you know, there are growth pains associated. So I'd say I just start there and see what you think about that. That that the first thing is let's get ourselves as women inside a context that says we actually, uh, you know, need to grow again and that that already changes the game when we know that. When you say uh, we need to take ourselves seriously and, you know, to be turn on the development tap, developmental tap, who, how do we do that? I mean, it's, it's a nice concept, but how do we actually do that in practical terms? Right. Well, <clears throat> again, there's, I think there's a sort of context setting that happens where I'm hoping that women that are listening to this will, could begin to recognize themselves inside this evolutionary moment. So that is, what are the signs, I could say, what are the signs um, that we started to see in hundreds of women that went through our programs, that something was trying to happen. Uh, you know, and, and I think these are signs of both the suffering and the longing that go together. And in the absence of knowing that the this suffering, and I'm going to give you a few of the, the sort of the ones that I've seen um, again and again and again. Um, but in the absence of seeing, knowing that these are um, signs of the urge to grow, women are basically trying to, to dial that down again. So we have here in the USA, anyway, we have the highest ever, we're one in four women on antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds. I don't know what it's like in Europe right now, but, but in other words, we are trying to numb something, something is happening. So women are feeling the suffering the way that I see it. Um, and experience it in women is a sense uh, often of my insides don't quite match my outsides like I feel I'm one person but I'm not showing up as that person um, being exhausted uh, over way over giving and having nothing left for yourself at the end of the day um, feeling like you know I there's no sort of I, I got I got where I thought I was supposed to go and there's no there there I mean I'm there I'm successful, I have got this position, I've got this house, I've got this income, but I'm not happy inside. And sense of like losing the, of the playful spirit. Where did my the joy of life go? What happened? Uh, there's a couple of things there I'd like to say. Well, one is the antidepressants thing. I think that's, that's common all over the world. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that the sign of suffering. And I think it's about suppression, like suppressing your... <laughs> your um, desire to do basic things like be happy <laughs> you know like you should be able to be happy you should be able to be who you are I mean I was at a, an interview the other day for um, a project and another woman there was telling me that um, she'd been working a bit like yourself as a coach and she said a lot of the women when they're going in for jobs they, they park their real selves outside the door and don't admit to their real personalities they just play the role of uh, what they think is expected of them rather than being their true selves. So do you think mm. that that's we, as women, you know, in the workplace, in our communities, we have to start showing up as ourselves and not apologize for it? Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is where we're, we're up against this developmental thing again, because who is the real, what is the real self? Yeah, I mean, so if if my sense of my authenticity or who I am has been shaped for this long, I'm saying inside my own my own life, but then we have the way this is passed down generation after generation inside a mask and a model of wholeness. Who am I really? Because the, in, in my work, what I see is women, I almost would say, starting to thaw out of this 
the way they've held themselves, needing to be perfect, needing to look a certain way, needing to act a certain way, they might have called that authentic. They might have said, that's me. But actually discovering, whoa, there's another, there's another me here um, that I haven't had contact with yet, that once I can begin to drop down and in, as I call it, um, to myself, I start to discover. For example, I just was working with a woman uh, recently and very successful um, administrator of a hospital and uh, had been doing this work for years and years and years and and recognized that uh, and, and I had this feeling I've described as sort of being numb and um, thinking she was coming in just to be a better leader of that organization. But in fact, her deep love was um, music, had always been music, and something she left behind in order to be successful because her father had really convinced her that, that music was not for adults and you needed to be successful. Well, once she, it wasn't that she needed at this point to become a professional musician, but once she contacted, this was, this was actually her, that she loves music and she loved the, it was soul nourishing for her and she's now brought music back into her life in this profound way that's changing everything about how she's actually showing up as a leader. She's showing up with more heart and soul now. You know, why? That's not because she just had, you know, was given a behavioral tool. Here's what you do to be more emotionally intelligent with your employees. What actually happened was something inside of her thought, her own heart opened so that she could actually be in that, you know, be behaving in that way. So is this about creativity, kind of tapping into your, your inner child, your creativity? <clears throat> is that a key part of it? Yes. I, well, I think you've, you're onto something with the, uh, with the inner child because I think what happens is we, we learn to construct a self um, when we're young and we learn this wisely. It's actually a very good thing the psyche does. We learn what are the things that get me love, safety and belonging and what are the things that don't. And the things that don't, we put into shadow, you could say. We, we put it away down in the unconscious. Um, and we can talk about that. One way I do talk about it is as inner, these inner children, this inner child, this part of ourself that actually was very, is very much a part of us. But you know, just like the iceberg that um, is move, it moves through the water by what is under the surface, not why by what is above it. Um, we are actually driven by these split off parts of ourselves. So, you know, the research I was doing and and have done is um, to find a a coherent way to map and, and look at what did what got split off for women from the time that we through our own developmental journey from the time we were born up into adulthood inside this masculine um, container that is trying to have us be represent ourselves in a certain way um, in order to fit into this masculine model and um, and as you may know the the all when I started doing this work very little had been done in terms of studying women's development. All of the studies up until Carol Gilligan at Harvard, who wrote um, in, a, in a different voice, you may not be familiar with her work. Um, all the studies prior to her were, were studying human development by, by studying men. Subjects were male. In other words, the assumption was men and women must develop in the same way. Carol began to question that, and certainly I was questioning that when I started doing my research. I was like, is that really true? And can we, let's take a look at this. Let's actually look at how women develop and see if there is a difference. 
Um, and, and if we can track that developmental pathway, then maybe we can find the places where these inner children got lost, say it like that, and get them and bring them back. I think a lot of the research that's happening in Europe now that it's funded by the EU, thank God for the EU, um, mm. under uh, Horizon 2020, every bit of research has to be gender equal. <laughs> so, yeah, isn't even it, it's, 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 we wouldn't even. I mean, the thing is that that wasn't even thought of before. It's just but like, the best part of it is that the funding is dependent on it. You know, so you can't get funding for your research unless you can guarantee it's going to be gender neutral. So even yeah. if you're using mice in your experiments in the lab, you have to have male and female mice in equal number. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's great. Actually, can I add something there, Angie, about male-female, if I may? Because I, the, one of the distinctions that um, we made really early on in the, in the research was uh, it's hard when you, when you say, ma you know, the masculine and feminine inside men and women um, is what I'm working with, let's say, from that. But the terms are so gender-loaded. Um, and so we began to shift to yin and yang, actually, to try to get it away from gender because in terms of the work I'm doing it's certainly not against men at all it's in fact I think the 5,000 years of the sweep of, of um, a, a more masculine paradigm in, in culture in general was an evolutionary move forward but the thing about evolution or even development but let's look at it from the perspective of evolution is we 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 always we with the consciousness we have, we create the complexity of the culture we have. And like Einstein's famous quote, he says, we can't solve the problems of today with the consciousness that created them yesterday. I'm sure you've heard that quote before, variations on that quote. Um, so really, what we're, that's always how evolution unfolds, is that there is, uh, we, we, we don't have the consciousness, you could say, to meet the problems that we created with the consciousness that we had so consciousness has to grow we actually have to the consciousness you could say the worldview the capacity to hold more complexity has to grow and then we we what grows with that is the leadership capacity that's how that goes and so i think we're at this point now and this is what our my book really lays out and i think our research and others you know i'm not the only one thinking this uh is that men and women actually have to cultivate more capacity right now and that means bringing more of our feminine or yin um, ways of being in relationship to more of our masculine or yang ways of being. And, and that really is true for men and women. But what I see in women, and I think we actually have what we could call an adaptive advantage to, to be one, the, the ones who really do this to make this developmental move. And certainly if we don't get it, it's not going to happen because I think as women, we have the, the, uh, the advantage of having this, potential access to the feminine ground of being. So I just wanted to make that distinction between um, the parts of the feminine and masculine aspects of ourselves in men, in men and women, male and female. Do you think that the way we have evolved has actually been very tough on men, that they haven't been free to show their feminine side as much as they would have? Yeah. Uh, even in earlier societies i mean i see it in the younger generation coming up they're much more at ease of being comfortable in different types of genders not only male female but you know just variations on the, on that as well and that it's actually quite a healthy thing oh it's a very healthy thing and 
it's it's a necessity right now. Everyone's feeling this pressure. This is how evolution moves, in my opinion. So the pressure, and this is, you know, takes us back to what we were looking at earlier. This is what I think women are feeling now. This this suffering is actually the pressure to grow. You could think of it like, you know, a, a chick trying to come out of an egg. And um, it's pecking away, trying to get out. And mostly as women, because we don't know that that's what's trying to happen. We're taping up the cracks. You know, we're trying to pretend this is the antidepressants. We're trying to pretend it's not happening. We're numbing ourselves with um, uh, overwork or, or uh, you know, drinking or whatever it is, eating. We're, we, we don't want to really, because we, we can't see this as actually a growth move. And I think that's absolutely happening for, for men as well. So one of the um, the things that became clear in our research and and actually maps to to five other studies that we um, that we tracked when we were kind of coming up with our the data was that the the of what were the current and future leadership trends and capacities let's say that are were going to be needed to meet this evolutionary moment that became really interesting for us um, because. Right, like what we would have to, we either were, either that was what we were helping women bring on board or, or something wasn't happening. And, and here's what's interesting. Um, I'll give you six of these because they're, uh, the, in my book I go into it to more, but um, the first was adaptability. So, okay, adaptability, creativity, um, and ease with ambiguity and uncertainty. Uh, the you know not knowing the sort of chaos that we have today, uh, a capacity for network thinking, a, an ability to build strategic alliances, and um, oh yeah, sensing what is critical, what is kind of unspoken, what's critical but unspoken. I call that intuitive. In the studies, this is how they they, they related to it, um, sensing what is critical and unspoken. So all of these are complex capacities. You know, it's not like saying, oh, we need somebody who's can, you know, do this technical thing or, uh, or very manage conflict. These are, what's creativity? I mean, how, how are you creative? How do you have ease with ambiguity? That's not just, you can't just give a recipe for that. You can't just give a new behavioral tool. These are, in my opinion, all pointing toward the requirement for the awakening of consciousness by that I mean the way we see ourselves others in the world these are this means and again in developmental from a, as a developmental psychologist I'd say it's saying ah we have to grow we actually have to develop more of the inner infrastructure that lets us have ease with ambiguity, that lets us do this, build a strategic alliance. You know, building a strategic alliance, for example, I have to have, I have to have the capacity to think systemically. I have to have the capacity to have my own needs and the needs of a, of a potential strategic ally in mind. And how do I negotiate to find those, to bring those two together? Now we're into the, the marriage of the feminine and the masculine inside oneself. I need to have, say, the more masculine ability to draw a boundary, have a clear stand, but I also need to flex and flow, the more feminine capacity, and, and collaborate and connect. So that's, I think, the, the invitation now for women um, is, of course, the feminine is the weak sister. So we're going to have to bring that on board first. But, but ultimately, we also, we need the feminine and masculine working together. So we have to cultivate the healthy masculine inside as well. 
What do you mean by the weak sister? <laughs> yeah, the weak sister in that after 5,000 years inside this masculine model of wholeness, um, the, the feminine has been so devalued. So it's like, the you know, we have the, the, these, the masculine and the feminine. We obviously are going to have to energize the feminine right now. It's simply required that the, these uh, more feminine capacities in ourselves that have been undernourished must come on board. And this, you know, for women brings us to the, you know, where does this begin? How do we begin this process? And uh, the, in our research, we again and again and again with, uh, uh, until we could sort of map this developmental pathway, which is, which is what my work lays out. Um, we kept seeing this is first step the same always for women. It didn't matter what kind of background they came from. It didn't matter, uh, you know, what mother or father they had or what the parenting was. And we found it was pretty consistent, which is the very the, the um, limiting belief that we found sitting in the unconscious and sometimes very consciousness of all the women we worked with was, I am not enough. And this very first gate in in my developmental pathway starts with what I call the mother archetype, and and under this um, sense of what what we would want to have this robust sense of our own value, the value of our deep being, is actually the opposite. That we are we are many women so far when <laughs> I've encountered has this sense of I am not enough. Now that comes from, that's actually, I believe, passed down in the DNA because of the way we have seen ourselves and we have been valued in culture itself, the way women have seen her. So we, we must begin then with coming back to ourselves. We have to come back to find a relationship with our deep essence, could say it like that. But what would you say to somebody like Hillary Clinton, who we would have all thought had more than enough and she was enough in herself and she won the popular vote in the United States, as we know, although that, that didn't cut it with the uh, electoral system, uh, mm. the electoral college. Um, you know, but what would you say to Hillary Clinton? She came so close to winning it. Um, if you were advising her, like, what would you say to her now? How could she use the mysterious tools to improve her leadership in what seems to become a hyper-masculine world, particularly in the United States, at a point where we were so hopeful, the whole world was hoping things would change, and then we end up with the polar opposite. I'm not mentioning any names. He, he shall not be named. But I do want to say something about that in a moment, actually. But let me just start with Hillary. First of all, I would say... Um, I think what she did do was extraordinary. And I think there, the courage and commitment to, to plow the ground, we could say. I mean, you could think of all the suffragettes way back, many of whom we don't know, who, who opened door after door after door um, until finally, you know, we got the vote. I mean, this, the, it was monumental, in my opinion, what she has done over time. And I'm not sure any woman could have done that without themselves being being very well equipped to navigate through the hypermasculine world and themselves having pretty broad shoulders, you know? Like she had to cultivate a lot and had a lot of her own masculine um, nature, her own young nature working to get through this. 
But like, um, I think, you know, what do you say to all the women of the world who had pinned their hopes in it and they feel totally deflated, totally right. without well, power I'm, now? We got out and people marched all over the world. But a lot of women marched and a lot of men marched in the United States. And you're, you know, you're still stuck in the same situation where there's very little representation. They're cutting back on, you know, access to Planned Parenthood, all sorts of systems to support women. Like, the reality for women on the ground has got worse. You know, I have I have a little different view on that. I, I actually, what I've seen here is, well, let me say, first of all, I've been speaking for quite a few years now about this requirement to grow and that we are not done yet. I have seen the stall that has been happening in terms of women's development for, for a decade. We're still stalled at 70% of women on 17 and women on boards, women in movies. We're still at 78 cents to the dollar in terms of payment. I mean, there are many, many ways that we are not yet in equal standing um, in any way, but because women are can be doctors and lawyers and do all of these things now, a lot of the younger generation and even you know women in the 40s and 50s are like, well, we're kind of we basically done this. We, we're we're good. Women are oh yeah, we can do a few more things, but we're we're basically you know, we don't need to be feminists anymore. We're done. And uh, and I, I I have not felt that was true because I feel that's still seeing we're still trying to break through a glass ceiling that I think has been in the wrong building that we actually, this is the difference between just trying to break through that glass ceiling or really saying, well, maybe we're actually going to try to develop and bring online capacities that have never been seen before. And then that's a whole different building altogether. So I actually see what's happening here now as as absolutely devastating as it was for all of us that, that this was not what we imagined. On the other hand, there is a waking up that has happened now and a commitment and a a kind of courageous stand that I hadn't seen before. And and we're gonna use that. And so I say to women, um, and I'll say, we're going to use that momentum right now, I think, to make some enormous traction, even though the shadow masculine, uh, the way I talk about it, has emerged. And the, the, what I mean by that is what he shall not be named and his associates um, value is very much the old as you know the old patriarchal uh, models of the sort of heroic and sort of uh, yeah heroic patriarchy a dominator worldview and this when anything is in shadow it must get surfaced in order to be integrated in the psyche that's true in our own individual psyches that's also true in culture so this, I believe, was here. You know, it didn't like the people that voted for for this new government. You know, they didn't come out of nowhere. They were there already, but very underrepresented and underseen and not seen. So, okay, we see them now. Then we see that worldview. We need to understand it, but also we need to do the work in ourselves that we actually, where this shadow in ourselves is done where we really metabolize this patriarchy in ourselves. It's, it's, um, and that's probably a longer conversation. So what about matriarchy? What about motherhood? Um, you know, has motherhood been totally undervalued, uh, in particularly in the workplace? And, you know, what do we need to do to help women who want to have children, who want to be mothers, who want to play that parenting role? How do we help men to nourish their, their mothering side as well? What can, what, you know, I'm very, great believer in practical I, I understand where you're coming from with the uh, 
with the thinking side of it, but you know, in practical ways, how can we change things for mothers and fathers in the workplace when it comes to children? Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that is a complicated question because I think it would need to be systemic. We'd have to look at, we absolutely have to look at the policies um, that, that right now around daycare and how we include people, parents, men and women, uh, and the care of their children in how we are also working. But again, I mean, and those policies would have to happen. They actually, we have to actually make changes in the organizations and the way we view it. But that doesn't happen unless there's a shift in consciousness. In other words, we have to see and value children and the, and the cultivating of the healthy attachment in children as they grow up so that that means parents need to have time and connect with their kids in, in ways and we need to know they're looked after. So, you know, again, I'm back to what does it take for, in fact, I've got a woman right now who I'm working with who's getting ready to have a child and, and she is coming in to do this work with me because she wants herself to have you know, be the healthy mother, be, be, be able to um, have a connection with herself so that she can actually become a mother who doesn't lose track of herself, which is what happens to so many women. Um, they're, they're in the effort to be this incredible employee and be, uh, or the boss at a, in a company and be taking care of everybody else and then taking care of your parents and then taking care of your friends and then taking care of your partner. And then where am I in all of this? So, you know, this is, it's, I mean, that's a complex question. How do we become a better mother? We have the capacity, first of all, in ourselves, we, we awaken the capacity in ourselves to have a self um, that we also take care of uh, in order to also be able to then extend more loving and compassionately to others. I guess that's not terribly practical for you. What you were saying, though, about not being enough, you know, I remember hearing um, another great writer. She was saying you can be good enough. And sometimes that is enough. You can be you don't have to be the perfect mother. You don't have to be the perfect wife, partner. Um, you just have to be good enough <laughs> for you, well, you know, yeah. to, to, to allow space to nourish yourself as well. The liberating belief. Um, so at each of the five gates of this developmental pathway that we kind of decoded through our research, um, there's a limiting belief that we began to see in women. And then the liberating belief that would start to arise when women did the deep work of unhooking from the limitation and the liberating belief here in the first gate is I am enough just as I am. I am enough just as I am. And that's just exactly what you're saying. Um, that sense of like, I can, I, I am who I am and that's okay. But what's interesting is the opposite. What we found in our work was every one of these more, you know, feminine, um, gates opened up in relationship with the masculine. So the second gate here, which is the the polarity that arises with the first one I'm talking about, uh, and is the hero archetype, the very yang yang essence. The limiting belief there is I have to do to be of value. I have to do to be of value. Um, so you can see how I have to do to be of value means and hooks up with I am not enough, right? And that's where women are just in this massive overgiving, overgiving, or I give up. I mean, or I can't make any contribution. Forget it. I can't. You know, this is all too big. I, this is beyond me. But then the liberating belief there is I am empowered to do what is mine to do. I'm empowered to do what is mine to do. So then when you put together 
when you have the lived experience, not just as a positive affirmation, but this is how you live. I am enough just as I am. And I am empowered to do what is mine to do. Wow, then that's a really different way of being in the world that starts to create, I think, a very new culture. So what are those five gates? If you, I know you've probably gone through three or three years in there, but if you could just call them out to us, what are those five gates? Um, the, I'll give you the archetypal names because what we found was that there was an archetype, a primary archetype. We didn't actually make up these archetypes. There are lots of, you know, they actually, it was a clear primary archetype that, or, and by archetype I mean a, a like a pattern, um, like a magnetic pattern, which is how we can think of archetype in the psyche that lights up along the developmental pathway for women from the time we were babies on up. Um, And it's that pathway we go back over in in what I call the mysterial sequence. So the first gate is the mother archetype. The second one is the hero. The third one is the father. The fourth is the maiden. And the fifth one is the crone. So each one of these has... Um, a kind of driving, unconscious, limiting belief underneath it. And the work then, and this is what I was saying earlier about the, the requirement to, to, to do the deeper work of literally down at the level of the DNA, uncoding from this millennial old um, encoded story that we're not enough uh, to, to actually do that work of liberating ourselves. Then these, the, the, um, these very new ways of being arise. And actually on my website, if you, if you sign up on my website, um, you get the, uh, the limiting beliefs and the liberating beliefs. So that's, uh, that's an easy way to kind of, and I, do, I did a little video about, about that so that it could help people. What's the website address? Yeah, mysterialwoman, M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A-L woman.com. And mysterial, I just want to say, Angie, because you'd asked earlier, how did, where did that word come from? About 10 years into the research, we'd seen enough women now who'd gone through our level one and level two programs um, that we were seeing really, really kind of a very uh, new ways of being emerging. These ways of being I was describing earlier, you know, this adaptability, ease with ambiguity, creativity, so on. And... In our, we were calling these, you know, we were saying, well, this is integral leadership. We called it a full presence leadership. We were looking for words to describe this way of being. And none of the words really captured the, the elegance, I would say, or the, the complexity of this way of being. And, and we had seen already that one of the things that all these women had in common was an ability to be with uncertainty, ambiguity, the mystery. Of course, right now, today, any leader, I mean, we're certainly not the only ones writing about this. Any leader right now has to have the capacity to manage that, to be able to hold an enormous amount of complexity until the solution emerges. So so we were seeing that, this ability to be with the mystery. And then we were seeing uh, a medial ability. And the medial is a word that was used by Tony Wolfe, who was Carl Jung's uh, creative muse. Um, and uh, collaborator and she talked about this aspect of the feminine psyche that is able to bridge between the conscious and the unconscious between differences um, between myself being able to hold my own point of view and uh, hold someone else's point of view so the word medial we were already using and one day um, 
uh, working with my co-author, the the word mysterial. You know, I said these women are just just they're 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 mysterial, and I, I think I thought there was a word, and I actually Googled it and to see what that what it meant, <laughs> and uh, there wasn't one, so we decided to invent it. And I remember at the time saying. You know, well, can, can we are we allowed to invent a word? I mean, you know, what do you do? How does that happen? And then we agreed that if we were, if it's true that what we're seeing now and what's required for women is has never been seen before. In other words, this is these are capacities emerging on the ev- at the edge of evolution. If that's true, why would there be a word to describe them? So then we decided we were going to claim that word. You were saying these women. You've said these women a few times. I don't know who you mean by these women. Are these the architects or the type of no, ideal these, that you, you've, you would like no. to develop? <laughs> these were women who had gone through our programs. I'm sorry. Yeah, women who had been we'd been working with then for, you know, in, in six-month and nine-month programs over time, and, and we were seeing these capacities arise. Now, I will say there are it's not that I think this way of being is emerging in women. We're starting to see it. Aung San Suu Kyi is a great example of a woman. Actually, I see, you know, the work of mysterial capacities arising in, in Hillary um, Clinton. I think, I think this, this um, setback right now is calling this, this, the dramatic setback for her is actually calling some of that forward. Sheryl Sandberg, who's I think been an extraordinary leader, COO of Facebook, when her husband died, um, what well, I would say, what we're seeing now are are a lot of these more feminine capacities arising in her. And um, this is very interesting to see how sometimes, and certainly in my own experience, I'd say it's true also, how difficult circumstances individually um, and then culturally, like we're experiencing now, can actually call forth these capacities that haven't been on board before. Uh, one of the things you said near the beginning, and it struck a chord with me, um, was how, and I hope I, I'm quoting you right, is that you know when you were working in a high-powered job, you decided because of the stress or illness, or whatever, to walk away. And I know women, I've done it myself. You know, been in something that I loved, and I walked away because the stress just got too much. How do we help women to stay? work through the stress <laughs> and make the place a better place because I've seen women who can do it and they do a fantastic job and they revolutionize places but you know it sometimes it can be just overwhelming to stay in a place when it just is going against you know all that and you are suffering <laughs> and you just have to get out just to save your sanity but is there anything you can do to stay in a place and change yes, it from within yes. Yeah, that is beautiful. And actually, I love what you're saying because it's why I do the work I do in a certain way. they I always say when people are starting work with me, either individually or in my courses, I invite them not to change anything um, until they're complete. In other words, often they come in with, I need to leave my company, you know, come and help me. I want to leave Microsoft. How you can help me do that? Or I want to leave this other company. and Or I have to leave my marriage or you know, I have to leave the country. Like I got something, and, and it must be the outer circumstances, the problem. And honestly, I, after working literally with hundreds of women, I, I can say eight times out of 10, it is not the outer circumstance. It is the outer circumstances like the cooker. And so for women in companies, for example, that come in, um, they what I have seen again and again is that when they do the deep work in themselves, to to reclaim themselves, to find their own, the wisdom and love and power that is 
innate to them, this their own signature way of being, that time and again, it, it, it is not the outer the, the outer job. I can think of somebody in a, in a high tech company who was very senior, was stalled. She in in this company, you always have to you have to have peer support to actually get promoted. Her employees loved her. She was good that way. Um, her her bosses thought she was great. The problem was at the level of her peers where she was always feeling inadequate. And this had a lot to do with her own, you know, the, her, her inner child, as we talked about earlier, some of the parts of herself that had very difficult sibling relationships growing up and, and, and found it hard to hold her own in relationship to others. And so... Um, when she did that work in herself and reclaimed this part of her, uh, the, her own nature that was split off in, in the unconscious, her relationships with her peers changed very swiftly and, when, and she was promoted. So all of a sudden she was then able to make a bigger impact in the organization um, and hadn't left. So I think the, the, the first work, again, I'll say this is why... I hope women listening can recognize their own suffering inside a larger evolutionary unfolding. Now, first of all, you have to see that what you're experiencing is not something that like, you know, the rearranging of the deck chairs on the sinking Titanic kind of thing. I've just got to change something in the outer world here and it'll all be okay. That actually, what if what we're experiencing right now is a call to wake up and then grow up? in oneself, do the work in oneself, um, to show up in really different ways. And that means, yeah, get a good coach, get somebody that is going to help you do the work. Um, find the communities of support. This is the other thing. And we see this happening more and more. When I started this work, there were so few women, I think we were the only university women's leadership program. And now they're almost in every university. There are lots of ways. And I, you know, there's my community to get connected to that women can start to feel supported by other women who are also um, experiencing the same thing and and get in the stream in the river you could say that that um, helps you be one of the women at this edge of evolution who are making the changes in themselves that they really want to see in their organizations in their children in the world great advice there um I had a lovely interview with uh, Jennifer Davis from Oregon not so long ago. And she said, get yourself your own board of directors, <laughs> like your own advisors and make yourself accountable, you know, like to give yourself a clear path. I thought it was great advice. Um, would you, and it, it taps into what you were just saying there, would you finally, and thank you very much for this interview, which has gone way over time, but we've just been having a good time listening to you. Um, could you tell me if you had to give maybe three pieces of advice to younger women in particular, what would they be? Mm. By the way, I'll just say I love these millennials coming up right now. They are coming in right now with, um, uh, it's really quite shocking, the uh, the consciousness that they're coming up with. So first of all, that I would say, keep on coming forward. Like um, Recognize that you are, the, the younger women, let's say, you are the vanguard of tomorrow. And the sense that that, that deep encoded, I am not enough, uh, that start right there with coming with really affirming the sufficiency of your own being. Even if you don't see a lot of outer signs right now in the, in the world that would reinforce that. So 
just fall in love with yourself again and and do that in a small way don't start you know start with the the one thing close in you really can appreciate about yourself this sounds very simple but it's really true start right there find and reconnect with and stay connected to what it is you love not just about yourself but what brings you alive have a relationship with your desire i think as women we have lost connection with desire with our with our desire and we have we are you know aligned around what do you what does that man desire what do you want me to look like and be like and so find your pleasure and desire and stay connected to it because really really close to that desire is your life purpose and your life purpose when you are there you know there's this wonderful quote by by Frederick Bruckner that says when you know aliveness or spirit is in the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger so find your gladness there's your purpose like this underwater aquifer underground aquifer and when you find that and you're in that the world will will meet you with a hunger for what it is you have to give and we need you and we we um we need your brilliance your genius at this time on the fragile turning point time on the planet that was Suzanne Anderson of Mysterial Women. That's all from the Women in Leadership podcast for now. Do get in touch with suggestions for people you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast or do get in touch with us with your own pearls of wisdom. We'd love to hear from you. And our email address is info at womeninleadership.ie. That's info, I-N-F-O, at womeninleadership.ie. The Women in Leadership podcast is still in the market for sponsorship and we're now getting a worldwide audience for the show, particularly in the United States. So if you want to support the mission of Women in Leadership podcast to hear more women's voices on the topic of leadership and to assist more women to achieve their leadership dreams, please do send us an email now to info at womeninleadership.ie. We're available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Blueberry and soon on YouTube. And don't forget to check out our back catalogue We've tons of wonderful interviews there with wonderful women from all over the world. Until the next time, goodbye and take care.